Now, on this Invest Talk podcast, Justin Klein listens to your questions. My name's Steve. I'm from Fort Gratiot, Michigan. First of all, I want to say thank you so much for your show, your podcast. I have a question. I plan on retiring in about three years. I'm looking at where I should reposition myself if I need that income. Invest Talk. Over 32 million downloads and counting. Hello, Steve or Justin. This is Aaron from Virginia. I'm a longtime listener. I enjoy the show. Your participation makes it unique. 888-99-CHART. This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome to Invest Talk. This is our Tuesday, July 6, 2021 edition of Invest Talk. And I hope you all had a wonderful 4th of July weekend. But now that is in the rearview mirror. And so we need to forge ahead and start to look at the back half of 2021 where we are. Pretty much 4th of July marks the halfway point in the year. And on today's program and podcast, I'm going to do my best to help you navigate uh, the, the market that we see today and going into the future. And I'm going to do that with my mission statement, which, which is always independent thinking and shared success. So no matter what I'm speaking about, I'm here to present it all without bias. Individual stock, a, se- a sector, a, an asset class, a strategy, whatever it is, I'm here to give you the facts as I see them in front of me, as well as using my 20 plus years of investment experience. Now I'm Justin Klein, and of course we encourage you to contact us with your finance and investment questions. And when you do that, you get to shape the show. And you can do that right now by interacting with, with us during our live stream program, 4 to 5 Pacific Time, or, as always, you can leave a question on our anytime listener line. Either way, the number never changes, 888-99-CHART. So let's get right to our first listener question now. Hi, this is Jeff in Michigan. Right now, I am overweight in small caps, and I have a lot of energy, financial, and commodities. In this market, I'm wondering if we are no longer rotating into those sectors, and I'm wondering what I should do if I should be backing slowly backing out of some of those trades and moving into things like utilities and other areas. So uh, look forward to hearing what you have to say. Thank you. Uh, the start of a, in, in the cyclical commodities, uh, your coal and oil and natural gas and copper and you know, the things that are really driven by uh, strong economic activity. I think it is a pause period. We've had a long run since the March lows of last year and a lot of optimism around government spending and the stimulus packages uh, are built into uh, many of the names, not all, but many of the names. And I don't think this is a time you, you, you full sale sell, but you certainly think about reducing your position, taking a bit of profits, maybe allocating, uh, putting that allocation back to what originally was, you know, if uh, you were at 3% of your overall portfolio, it went up dramatically, maybe doubled. Now it's 5 or 6% of your overall portfolio. Maybe bring it back to 3 okay? Uh, and look for opportunities to pick up more on the, the, the natural 
uh, pullback that you get in this uh, in these markets. They're, they tend to be very volatile, uh, both on the upside and the downside. Now, does that mean we're going to make a full round trip back to where we were in March? Very unlikely. I think secular inflation is here. And these are areas that you want to be invested in longer term. But based on the economic backdrop of particular months and, and quarters, there will be times that uh, other parts of the market are in favor. And so I think this is uh, we're entering one of those periods where uh, the basic materials trade is not going to be quite as strong. It's going to be more difficult going forward, just uh, like gains in the overall market. Our, first, our second half is very unlikely to look a lot like the first half. It's just a different flavor of the economy. A uh, fully reopened economy, economy with less stimulus, an economy with moderating inflation, moderating economic growth. Doesn't mean it's going to be bad. Doesn't mean inflation is going away. Doesn't mean the economy is going into recession. But you had massive fiscal support that was driving the economy and inflation. So that's going away to some degree, but it will come back. We know that. Politicians are not in the ball game of allowing a deflationary spiral like 08. If you learned anything over the last decade, you should see that that's the biggest thing they're scared of. And they will flex their power to avoid it. And that's what they will continue to do. So in the end, should you take some profits? Probably. Uh, if there are names that might be a bit overvalued and you want to reduce those. Uh, but more it's looking at your broader asset allocation. And yes, their non-cyclical sectors are looking a bit more attractive. Now, my focus point today concerns this story. U.S. listed shares of Chinese companies drop on worry of more crackdowns out of the second largest economy in the world. Now, concerns about investing in Chinese stocks have grown in recent years, and now officials in China have launched a cybersecurity review of one company, which is fueling more risk fears. So we're going to dive into that topic a bit more, which I've kind of been speaking about this for a little while now and the bigger risks of these Chinese names. And this is just one event, uh, probably one event of many that are to come. So we're going to take a deeper dive. Next, I also want to talk about the portfolio allocation to crypto and how much crypto can really change your portfolio uh, risk profile and what makes sense for each individual based on historical volatility as well as the potential for the space. So that's what we're going to dive into as well. But let's look at the, take a look at the markets today. You had the S&P was down for most of the day and had a rally in the afternoon. It closed down only 8.8 points, so 0.2%, very modest down day there. But if you look at the NYSE, that was down 132 points, down almost 1% on the day. So certainly a, a negative day for the overall markets. And you had the NASDAQ up, and that was certainly the strongest part of the market on the back of interest rates having another solid dip, down 6.1 basis points on the day on the 10-year, down to 1.37. That's the lowest level on the 10-year since February, late February. And 
I think this is maybe the last uh, bit of uh, the bearishness in the bond market that maybe is needing to be shaken out. I do think yields will be moving higher in the back half of the year, not dramatically, but a bit, especially as the Treasury general account is being wound down and new treasuries are needing to be minted. And that's what's going to happen in a big, big way in the back half of the year. Now you're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and with all the changes we see happening, it is important to remember that during periods of market uncertainty, the task of building your financial freedom must always continue. You have to keep your eye on the prize, and that's what we are to help you do, to help you create your goal of financial freedom and achieve it. And that requires the right information and effective strategies. So we should talk about whatever is on your mind. Your participation is a vital part of today's show. So give me a call. 888 chart Listening to Invest Talk, you can help support our programming by giving us your vote of confidence, a five star rating. So download, review, rate, and don't forget to call Invest Talk, 888 99Chart. Now, today you had a decidedly down day in the markets, but it was even more down for a lot of the Chinese listed companies. Companies like Alibaba, Tencent Music Entertainment, Trip.com, JD.com, Pin, uh, Pindadao. That's Pindadao. It's one of the bigger ones. They were all down significantly. Tencent Music itself was down uh, more than 9%. Alibaba, that was down somewhere in the neighborhood of 3.5% or so. And this was all on the back of the crackdown or an announcement by cybersecurity officials in China that are fueling concerns about government risk to Chinese stocks. And what they did was they blocked the company's app from being being downloaded, Didi, which is kind of like an Uber for China. And this is based on what cabin officials said that regulators are adopting new measures to monitor cross-border data security and potential securities fraud. And this is just less than a week. Didi just recently went public here in the U.S. uh, along with two smaller recent listings are also under review, Full Truck Alliance and Kanzun. It's hard to pronounce. But uh, it just shows you that these Chinese regulators are starting to have a more discerning eye for these companies. And this comes on the back of Trump attempting to ban investments in companies with ties to the Chinese military, U.S. regulators also pushing for greater scrutiny of foreign listings. And there are some analysts who think that the cybersecurity review is likely because of Chinese concerns about leaking sensitive data to foreign nations such as the U.S. And nations that have passed uh, uh, legislation that require Chinese companies to 
that are listed on U.S. exchanges to go through the U.S. Public Company Accounting Oversight Board, PCAOB, and to look at their audit work. And this is probably the one thing that the Chinese officials want the least. They do not want their companies to be audited to the same level that U.S. companies are audited because they know that almost every single one of those companies would have to restate their earnings because there's always some level of fraud within their accounting. Once again, I've said this many times. Sometimes it's a very small percentage, single digits. Other times it's 70-80% or more. Now, many of those that are 70-80% have been uh, called out by short sellers and many of them been delisted or gone bankrupt. So uh, there are there are some mechanisms to get those type of bad actors out of the system, but there's still uh, a lot of actual companies with mul- with market caps of tens, if not hundreds of billions of dollars that their accounting standards are not up to snuff. Alibaba has a $572 billion market cap, and that's after falling 33% from its 52-week high. So you can see how much money is at stake here, how much value is at stake for these companies that currently have very, very high valuations and accounting standards that are simply not up to par. So this is, in in a lot of ways for me, uh, what I think is China is trying to just crack back. How can they, what, what steps can they take to prevent companies from sharing information, from giving their value to their enemy in a lot of ways, which would be us. So uh, I think that's the issue here is there is a geopolitical concern here of going tit for tat. And this is the one shot across the bow by the Chinese. And this is why I've said Chinese companies, I just don't love the risk versus reward in a political environment, in a geopolitical environment that is heating up. It's not cooling down when it comes to these economic wars. And that's really what it is. In the age of nuclear uh, technology, the easier way, the better way to fight a war is through economic means. And China has been very good at that. Uh, We're starting to fight back a bit. And that's going to create a level of risk in these Chinese stocks that I am just not comfortable with. And I, I would suggest you shouldn't be either, especially if it's a large part of your portfolio. So understand that this is part of the process and know that it's only likely to intensify. Now you're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. And for investors, the need to remain vigilant is never ends. So we must, you must learn how to manage your fear and greed, balance the risks versus rewards using sound logic, not stories, not fear, uh, simply going down to the brass tacks of what companies and businesses and asset classes can do for you. So your participation is vital. So give me a call at 888-99-CHART. InvestTalk is always made better when our listeners contribute their questions. So tell your friends and family members they can interact in real time with Steve Peasley and Justin Klein during the InvestTalk live stream program between 4 and 5 p.m. Pacific Time. 
Or they can leave their questions anytime, 24-7, in the Talk voice bank. 888-99-CHART. Hello, Steve or Justin. This is Aaron from Virginia. I'm a longtime listener, and I enjoy the show. I was seeing if I can get your thoughts on a Morgan Stanley article written in 2019 about the upcoming she economy. And if there are certain female niche spaces that you guys think will take advantage of the influx of single female consumers. Long story short, based on Census Bureau historical data and Morgan Stanley forecasts, 45% of prime working age women ages 25 to 44 will be single by the year 2030, the largest share in history, up 41% since 2018. Also, according to the Center for American Progress, women are principal shoppers for 72% of their households and contribute an estimated $7 trillion to the U.S. GDP yearly. I know 2030 is a ways out, but one thing you and Steve always say is the market thinks forward. So I was just seeing if this is something that I should be looking at in, in certain spaces that can potentially blow up if this data is true. Thanks for taking my call, and I hope to hear your insights on the show. Continue doing what you do. All right, great question. I like that you're reading different uh, reports and, and gathering uh, data. And... This is a couple years old, but I think it still applies pre or post COVID. And uh, the first thing you spoke about was how many single women there are going to be. Uh, it's going to be an all time high. I forgot the date, what day you said, but this is just a, a broader trend of uh, younger people waiting longer to get married and many of them never getting married a lot higher than in, in previous uh, generations. So it's more of a generational shift. Now, what things does uh, what 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 impact does that have on the economy and specific sectors? And the most obvious one is household formation. So uh, it just creates more households when you have more single people. When two people get married, they tend to live together, and suddenly two households becomes one household. And so you have more demand for uh, for dwellings and smaller dwellings, and there's some uh, impact to that. The amount of people in a particular uh, home is likely to uh, continue to to drop, whereas in previous generations, you oftentimes had multiple generations, two, three generations in one particular home. So those are factors that's going to impact the demand for housing more, more broadly. Now, when it comes to female decision-making, female spending, they've always been the... Uh, the primary decision makers for most uh, most spending for a household. And so I don't think that's really going to change. It's more about uh, the, the single women having more 100% uh, control over their own household as opposed to only part uh, control of uh, a single household. So I think that's the, the bigger trend is what type of demand for furnishings, for example. You have two homes. That's going to mean more furnishing when you have uh, less homes being consolidated. So those are the trends that you want to look for, but you're kind of in that now. You've seen that recently with uh, such high demand for homes and furnishing and remodeling, things like that. I think that's the biggest trend you can take away from that report. Um, but I have to take a deeper dive into it to, to glean any more. But that's my initial takeaway. But I like that you're looking at that type of report. Let's go to Charles in Moreno Valley, and let's talk about the economy. Hello, Justin. Um, I have a question about the SPIC. Okay. Um, they insure 
the brokerage account up to five hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars, and if the account is over that, should I open a an account with a different brokerage then? Okay, so I think you're talking about SIPC, SPIC, sorry, SIPC, which is the SIPC Insurance. SIP, SIPC, yes. There we go, yep. Uh, well, that depends on your broker uh, because every broker that we've ever used has insurance above that. For example, TD Ameritrade, who is our broker, they provide each client $149.5 million worth of protection for securities and $2 million of protection for cash through supplemental coverage provided by London insurers. So there's a lot of level of insurance above and beyond that 500000 that you're getting just from SIPC. So I would actually look at the broker and figure out what type of supplemental they have. And I, I would hope they do. Uh, so if they do, then I wouldn't worry about it. If they don't, I, I probably wouldn't be with that broker. I'd probably just have my money somewhere else. Does that make sense? Yes. Um, I'm with Fidelity, and they say their secondary uh, coverage is, comes from Lloyd's of London. Mm-hmm. Very common, is, yep. Uh, how safe is that? Uh, I mean, Lloyd's is one of the oldest companies, uh, insurance companies in the world. Uh, so, I, I I don't think uh, I don't think you have to really worry uh, there. They're one of the largest. So, uh, and, and and they write this type of insurance all the time. Well, um, collateralized, and they've been around since 1871. So, I don't think you have to worry about Lloyd's of London. Very good. Thank you, Justin. Thanks for the call. Now, on the next Invest Talk, the story behind this headline. One economist is warning that signs for the global economy indicate the central banks will be in an impossible position. Why? He says debt ratios are much higher than the 1970s, and a mix of loose economic policies and negative supply shocks threaten to fuel inflation rather than deflation. And that story tomorrow. But for now, I'm Justin Klein, and I'm ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. Of all the finance and investing podcasts and all the downloads in all the world, you've discovered Invest Talk. At this time, do you think it would be better to keep it in this bond or move it to cash? Looks like the sector is down today, so just thinking about, you know, potentially buying the dip. And since Invest Talk hosts Steve Peasley and Justin Klein are committed to answering your questions with their unique blend of expert insight and unbiased guidance, you've got to ask yourself one question. Why haven't you called Invest Talk? Hey, it's James from Australia. I'm loving the podcast. You know you listen. You know you should call. You know you want to call. Um, so I was wondering the best options for long-term growth. You'll get a reliable answer and the same positive feeling that tens of thousands of Invest Talk callers have already experienced. Thank you so much. I love the show. Don't forget to call Invest Talk. 888-99-CHART. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team 
addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's attack resistance platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. The stock market is volatile. It's constantly changing. So how are you positioned? Is your portfolio properly balanced? Or are you taking unnecessary risks? You can get guidance anytime for free if you go to investtalk.com and take the brief Riskalyze quiz. The InvestTalk phone lines are open and waiting for your questions. 888-99-CHART. Hi, this is Nick calling from Idaho about Sprouts Farmers Market. I'm wondering, I see on TD Ameritrade that there's 101% institutional ownership and 14% short interest. I'm wondering how you can have more than 100% institutional ownership. And I'm also wondering what you guys think of the recent price action. Thank you for your advice. Yeah, I'd have to really look at that data. Uh, I'm not seeing the institutional ownership uh, uh being that high, that sounds uh, way too high. Uh, the short interest is, in my book, let's see, 6.7 days. This is how I've calculated in my other uh, system. It's about 12, 13 million shares uh, short. So uh, you're talking 10, 12%. So that sounds about right uh, on there. But um, so I'm not sure about the institutional ownership. I see insiders on 1%. Uh, institutions have been buying over the past year, which is a good thing. Uh, we do own this for uh, clients, and so we would be an institution, uh, and it has pulled back to some pretty good support here, around $25 a share, uh, and we still like it. So uh, I wouldn't remember, you always want to look at multiple data points, just because TD says one thing, I'd have to dig into why it would say that. We're not getting that number, and we use TD as well. So um, thanks for the call, but I like the name. All right. Now, this is Invest Talk. Our phone lines never close, so people leave their finance and investment questions anytime, 24-7. So let's grab another question from 888-99-CHART. Hello, my name is Mark. I'm from Tracy. And Steve made a comment in 2006, right before the, the real estate market took a dump. And he said that he had pulled the trigger two years too early. I'm just wondering what his thoughts are today about the real estate market and whether or not he thinks it's going to be collapsing anytime soon. Thank you. You guys do good work. I appreciate it. Thank you. Bye. Well, obviously, Steve isn't here, uh, but I can kind of give you my sense uh, along with uh, along with Steve's. We have similar uh, similar beliefs on where the housing market is today. And uh, there are a few main differences between the 05, 06 frothy market and today's uh, 
somewhat frothy market. Now, first, our lending practices. Lending practices are much, much better and have been since the financial crisis. And this is one thing I think people don't understand. Everyone's always looking for the previous crisis, and they think that's going to be the catalyst for the next crisis, whatever whatever that is. They go, oh, the housing market's going to fall apart again. Well, uh, when markets typically fall apart, it's because somebody, especially high up, uh, they're taking their eye off the ball and they're they're missing the, uh, a particular risk, and that's typically unlikely when that's the last crisis, because the regulators, the the people up top making policy, they're trying to avoid that type of risk again. And investors are more keen to look for that type of risk in the markets and are unlikely to. Uh, over leverage themselves, they're, they're more concerned about a potential crash because that's in their mind. It's somewhat fresh in their mind, even though we're 12, 13 years uh, since the financial crisis. It's the most recent crisis. And so uh, the next major crisis in the economy is unlikely to be housing. Now, does that mean housing isn't a bit expensive today? Well, that depends on which markets you're talking about. And where you think interest rates are going to go, where our income is going to go, because those are the main drivers in the short to medium term, is where our interest rates and where our earnings, meaning incomes, coming from. Because that's what pays for rents and mortgages, our incomes and the cost of capital, interest rates. And so right now with inventory so low, you're going to need inventory to come up dramatically from here. And there are certainly potential catalysts for that. Uh, you have mortgage and rent moratoriums rolling off and potential for more people to default on mortgages, to default on rent, for people to actually evict people in their rentals and sell their property, which in a lot of cases over the past year plus they've been unable to do. And so there are some catalysts to increase supply, but is it going to increase supply to a level where the, the market uh, falls apart? Uh, I would say that's unlikely. Now, it could weaken, could flatten out, um, but a complete crash is unlikely. Not only that, but you have regulators and banks that they don't want to see that again. They will do things like not foreclose on homes, and governments will come in and help create demand so that housings don't crash with stimulus packages, et cetera, and policy. And that's likely to be the impact or the uh, impact of any drawdown, major drawdown in housing prices, it's going to be met with policy changes. Uh, and so anyone who's sitting there waiting for a major housing crash is, I think in a lot of ways, waiting for Godot, unless you see mortgage rates absolutely skyrocket. But once again, powers that be, I don't think they're going to let that happen. So I hope that helps. Uh, could you see gyrations in the market? Sure. But a major crash is very unlikely. This is Invest Talk. We have now achieved more than 33 million downloads on our free podcast. So we thank you. And now let's make it a triple play. Three questions in a row. This came in earlier on 88899 chart. Hello, gentlemen. Andrew here calling from uh, Utah. I just want to let you guys know that I love the show. My question today is actually about Apple. I know you guys like the company. I love the company, too. I own right in that sweet spot. About 4% of my portfolio is Apple. Trading at about getting close to $140 a share. I have no intentions of selling it, but I know you guys keep saying that the whole tech sector might be a little overvalued, and uh, it looks like Apple's also running up against some resistance right in this area. I just wanted to know what you would think about actually shorting it right now, doing a little short against the box. 
in my portfolio. Love to hear your answer. Thanks, gentlemen. Great question. I love the term because a lot of people don't say that term anymore, and a lot of new investors probably don't even know what that term means. Short against the box is when you own your long a particular uh, amount of shares, and you go short those same shares, maybe in partial or to completely cover uh, your, your current holdings. And effectively, you have a long and a short. And so if the price goes down, you're, you're no worse off. You've you're long it, you're short it, it's like being neutral. And a lot of people do that if they're trying to hedge a position, but they don't want to take the gains. It's one way you can avoid capital gains. Go short the stock. I don't want to t- I don't want exposure to this name over X amount of period, uh, but I don't want to sell it and trigger capital gains. We well, can go short against the box and uh, be long and short uh, the same shares. So that's what short against the box means for everyone out there. Now, should you go short against the box on Apple? Well, it, it, you're right, it is bumping up in resistance. Uh, it is on the higher end of our valuation range. We aren't overweight, we're, we're, we're underweight our, our normal allocation to Apple, but we still like it longer term. Uh, you know, We're looking for a price closer to $100 a share, that would be more attractive, but um, you know, I wouldn't be shorting it unless you really want to be, uh, you really want to hedge over the next six, nine months or something like that, and you think there's, there's going to be a drawdown in the overall market. Remember, Apple is such a large percentage of the major indexes that you, you're going to need a, a major market fall for Apple to, to fall as well. So that's really the bigger bet there. Is the market going to pull back in a dramatic fashion uh, uh, in the back half of the year? Well, depends on your definition of dramatic. I think 10 12% is, uh, is probably my base case, uh, but that's typical for any given year. Now, if 2021 feels like it's moving fast, well, it is, at least in my mind. And we're well in underway in the second half of the year. We're in the third quarter, just the beginning. But in the market, we are seeing volatility like you saw today. You have to be prepared for these circumstances. So I think it's worth taking a minute to make you aware of some of the benefits of working with myself and Steve Peasley at our company, KPP Financial, based in Irvine, California. And... Let me remind you that here on Invest Talk and at KPP, we operate with the same philosophy, independent thinking and shared success. We have that shared success by practicing parallel investing, meaning you're investing just like Steve and I are. And I encourage you to take advantage of our free portfolio review assessment via telephone or go to meeting. You can send us a message through investtalk.com or call our KPP financial offices in Irvine, California. We can talk for just a few minutes, see how we can help, see what your goals are, see what your portfolio looks like, and hopefully we can make a difference and help you. We would love to help you. Now, next up, another caller question in one minute. There is good news for loyal InvestTalk listeners, their friends, and families. Steve and Justin have recorded a special bonus podcast. Been listening for a while. I've got some great advice. This free podcast is available for download anytime, typically each day and night. The Invest Talk Call Center receives more voicemail questions than Steve and Justin can fit into a live show format. Hi guys, big fan of the show. So in the bonus program, caller questions will be played back from our voice bank and answered with brief, unbiased, and helpful responses. I think for like the next 10 years, commodities are going to be doing very well. It's in the money. You probably just want to sell it. It's a fast-paced learning podcast for the average investor. Absolutely love your show. It's free, so be sure to tell your friends. It can be downloaded now at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and investtalk.com. Look for Rapid Fire Hour.
Hi, this is Duncan from New York. I wonder if I'm a VIP, since I always kind of leave these questions, but you guys do a great job answering them. I just found out that my company will be going public within the next couple of months. Someone else on the show asked about what to do if their company goes public, because usually employees can get like a discount on their own stock. Could you just give me a little bit of advice about that? I'm definitely looking forward to get some stock and try to make a profit off of it. And I'm actually not quite sure if I'm going to be with the company for long, too. Might move on within the next six months to a year. But just wanted to know your thoughts. Uh, what would be a good play for this? Thank you very much. Have a great day. Bye. Well, it would only impact you if you own shares in the company or stock options, which you, which you may. Uh, you have to look at the vesting schedule of those options and shares as well if you're thinking about leaving the company in the, the short to medium term. And if you do own shares, then this may be an opportunity to sell uh, or maybe to buy at, at, at discounted prices uh, if that's a, an opportunity as well. Uh, but you always want to make sure it's not too much a percentage of overall portfolio, 10% probably at most. And... Uh, then you can look at whether you should up or reduce your, your allocation when they do go public, if that's uh, an opportunity for you. So uh, depends on the company, depends on your situation, depends on what your opportunities are. Now let's touch a bit on Bitcoin and how, you, how it can really change your allocation. Uh, your, your your risk, uh, excuse me, depending on your your allocation. Now we know that cryptocurrency is very volatile, and the price of Bitcoin has recently tumbled uh, from April until recently, and this just shows you the risk that's involved. But also, you look year over year, it's up pretty dramatically. So the Bitcoin volatility has been easy to overlook when you look at big gains of three hundred percent in twenty twenty thirty. 1,300% in 2017, uh, but it's important to understand what just a small allocation to Bitcoin or crypto can really do to the risk of your overall portfolio. Now, a little can really go a long way, and if you just have a 1% exposure to Bitcoin, that 1% contributes to 9% of the overall volatility of your portfolio. Now you up that to 2%, well it's going to take up 24% of the total risk in your portfolio. Okay, so you can see how quickly it can be uh, the main source of volatility. Now you start to up it to 5%, it's more than 60% of your portfolio's total risk profile. And goes to... 70% if you increase it uh, yeah if you increase it all the way up to uh, oh, excuse me if you go to 25% it's now 96% of your overall uh, risk in your portfolio so and this is taking it from a, a, your standard 60/40 stock bond mix uh, so adding it to your portfolio just a little bit can go a long way in changing your risk profile and that's what you really need to understand when you are investing in these kind of new areas with massive amounts of volatility. Now if you take a balanced portfolio 60-40 you throw 5% allocation into Bitcoin and through May of 2021 it delivered 15% annualized over the past uh, five years. 
Whereas if it's just a normal 60-40 portfolio, that's 7.3%. So you can see how much that allocation could bring to performance bring to your overall portfolio. But you can have very large drawdowns ranging from negative 41%, the Bitcoin index fell uh, in over the last 11 years, and nine, uh, to 93% over certain periods as well. So that's assuming you can hold through those drawdowns. And that's really the main issue here is can you handle the volatility? A lot of people look at the upside potential and they think, yeah, you know, I'm making 100%. I can handle the, the drawdowns. But that's easier said than done. Most people, it's like Mike Tyson says, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. And when things are, are you know, asset classes are plummeting that you own, it can feel like a punch in the face. And a lot of people uh, have trouble with that. For example, if you just had 5% of that mixed portfolio, through June 25th, the standard 60-40 bond portfolio had a 1.9% gain from mid-April until January 25th, whereas the one with a bit of Bitcoin, 5%, was down over 1%. So that can struggle. Now, one of the arguments for Bitcoin is that it doesn't have any correlation to the overall market, fixed income, equities, and, and for the most of its of its life, that's true. But more recently, Bitcoin's one-year rolling correlation to the broader equity market is between 0.25 and 0.35%. That's still pretty low, but it's and it may fall back to zero again, but it's notable that it's rising. It's having more correlation with the overall equity markets, and that makes it less of a great diversifier. But remember, past performance is not a guarantee of future results. 8899 chart, give me a call. This is Invest Talk. Are you doing everything possible to make sure that your investments are performing as well as they should be? Well, there's a treasure trove of wealth building information freely accessible right now at investtalk.com. You'll find investment strategies and unbiased guidance. The phone lines are open, Justin's here, and he's ready for your questions. Call 888 99 Chart. Uh, hello. My name's Steve. I'm from Fort Grash at Michigan. First of all, I want to say thank you so much for your show, your podcast. My boys listen to it. I turned them on to it, and hopefully they can learn from my mistakes and your wisdom. I have a question. I plan on retiring in about three years, and financially I'm pretty good. I have no pension, but I have enough money saved. And I have 27% in stocks, 54% in bonds, hundred or ten percent in gold and nine percent in cash and I'm looking at where I should reposition myself if I need that income uh, when I retire which I will need some so if you could let me know I would really appreciate it and I'll listen for your reply thank you very much God bless you bye-bye okay well the first thing is you've pretty low equity exposure, 27%. That's, that's, that's pretty low. Even though you are approaching retirement, I, I still would, would up that a bit, probably in the value side of the market with dividend payers. So I would try to up first up your, your income production through dividend equity positions. Now, uh, that would probably come mostly from cash. And uh, the bond side, I'd have to really look at what type of bonds you're talking about? Are they are they uh, corporate bonds? Are they 
uh, treasuries? Are they munis? Where, what type of income is that producing as well? And how can we reposition that to increase the level of income from the fixed income side of the market? And then the gold. Uh, you have some gold. Sounds like I think it was 10% or so. Uh, is that just owning straight gold? Or would it make more sense to old gold miners that are producing income, producing dividends. So those are ways that you can up your income production while keeping a, a similar asset allocation. I don't have a, a, a terrible problem with that, but the devil's really in the details. You, you did talk about high level, um, but if you want to have a, take a deeper dive into actual positions, actual income production, how we can uh, produce more income from those assets, I would send a message over to us through investtalk.com, click on the portfolio review section, or just send a message directly through uh, to the contact Steve or contact Justin button, and that will go directly to us, and we can kind of start analyzing your overall portfolio. On the portfolio review uh, button, if you go to the investtalk dropdown, there is a template, a spreadsheet template. You could list all of your positions and the current asset values, and that will help us understand your portfolio more broadly and what type of income it is producing. And that's probably the best way for me to help you. You, you, you gave me a good start, but I would need a little bit more to give you more precise help. Now let's keep things moving so you can get the most out of this podcast. And we go back to the Invest Talk Voice Bank for a question that came in earlier from our listener in Atlanta on 888-99-CHART. Hi, this is Vitaly calling from Atlanta. I was looking at Campbell Soup's ticker symbol CPB. I was wondering what you thought of it. It's a good entry point. It's currently hovering just under $46. It's been around this area for about a month or so. So I was wondering if I can add to my position um, and just your general thoughts on Campbell Soup's. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. All right, this is Campbell Soups, and right now we're at 45, spot 54 on the day, down 12 cents. It did have a pretty decent drop in early June. I would imagine that's uh, that's on the earnings report. Earnings revenue is down 11% year over year, and earnings down 31%. And this is the exact opposite of a base effect because Campbell's had huge tailwinds in April of last year, in the second quarter, shall we say. Uh, on the government shutdowns, people are stocking up on canned goods. That When revenue was up 15%, earnings were up 57% during that time. So you're starting to see the reverse effect now. And earnings this year are expected to go down to $2.91 from 297 last year and down to 290 next year. And uh, they were making 230 before the pandemic, 2019. So the odds are pretty good that they're actually going to trend back towards that 230. And analysts right now are at 290. Uh, I, I, I would not be owning this name. From a technical perspective, it's weak below all the major moving averages. Uh, it has those near-term uh, headwinds. Uh, and so it just doesn't get me excited. It's not cheap enough. Our value is uh, right around here. Uh, and so if you have, you're kind of at value and the technicals are weak and you have these headwinds of uh, tough base effects from last year's shutdown, uh, it's just not a great time to be to getting into Campbell's. So I would be patient on it. Wait for those base effects to come down. Maybe the analyst expectations for earnings to go back to those 230 level pre-pandemic. Uh, and that's when I'd be more interested in it. Probably closer to $35 to $40 a share. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Keys and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which they can find, as always, at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Be sure to rate and review. 
And if they want to browse by topic, they can head over to investtalk.com and search for things like real estate, cryptocurrency, 401k, etc. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461.